This interview and all other ad-free content that we put on this show is brought to you ad-free by Digital Market Battles, the only marketing agency that'll fill your company's pipeline with high-valued leads. They'll meet your conversion goal no matter what. Just go to www.digitalmarketbattles.com to get your discovery call done today. Welcome to a special edition of Downtown Sports. I'd say it's our uh, birthday edition here. I am the mouth of the South, John Shiboni, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. And as Beast gets himself together, we have to keep on going. We have a very special guest with us today. Ladies and gentlemen, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets, the voice of NFL on CBS, also Westwood One Radio when he's not when he's not doing CBS. Ladies and gentlemen, the hardest working broadcaster in sports today, one of the best for sure, Mr. Ian Eagle, the Birdman. How are you doing, good sir? Hey, J&J, great to be on with you. I don't know if this is my fourth time, fifth time. I've lost count. I'm I'm a contributor to the program. I, yes, I feel you like are. I've, I've qualified. Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, your family at this point. Like, I I almost want to call you Uncle Ian at this point. Yeah, I I would have accepted Crazy Cousin, but uh, you you want to go with Uncle Ian? I I've been called much worse. Okay, very good then. So um, let's go to that playing game that just happened. The Nets, by the skin of their teeth, make the postseason. They took care of business last night against the Cavalier team that really shocked a lot of people with how well they played in the first half of the season. We all have seen the story of the Nets, everything that's happened with them. What happened with this team? More than what we know, what was the causes of the uh, seemingly the breakdown of the team? Well, the team is what the record says you are and ultimately the nets were the seven seed in the eastern conference because they were never able to put together the consistency of winning that a top four seed normally does in the nba playoffs when you get a one seed a two seed a three seed in the eastern and western conference that means that you have been a stable consistent winner and the nets have not been that this year. There's a myriad of reasons. Uh, The first and foremost being uh, what took place at the beginning of the year with uh, Kyrie Irving not being a part of this team and the mandate in New York not allowing him to play, the team's decision to not allow him to play on road games because they thought it would be too much of a distraction. The second James Harden, his disinterest in staying with the team and wanting to move on and how that affected the group all in all. And then thirdly, injuries. The the fact that they could not stay healthy, Kevin Durant in particular, and that stretch where they went three and 17 uh, because they just didn't have KD available. It was before the All-Star break. It spilled over till after the All-Star break. The trade was made with Philadelphia. And even when that deal was made, Ben Simmons has yet to play a single minute for the team. Seth Curry has been in and out of the lineup because of an ankle injury. They signed Goran Dragic for some insurance in the backcourt. Dragic 
health and safety protocols, misses a bunch of games down the stretch. So it was one thing after another. The positive for the net side of things is it's a clean slate. And you go to the playoffs and everybody has the same record. You're zero and zero to start. Some teams have home court advantage, so be it. But if you're the Nets, I think they're looking at this as a new lease on life and an opportunity to still accomplish something over the course of this postseason. Kyrie Irving is back. He's healthy. He's playing in every game other than a game that might take place in Toronto. Kevin Durant is back. He's healthy. Ben Simmons is trending towards maybe joining this team at some point in the playoff series against Boston. So their timing might be right. How they got there was quite circuitous, but uh, this this team might still achieve all of the goals that they put forth for themselves. And talking about the goals that they put forth for themselves and achieving in the postseason, in a way, I kind of feel disappointed that the defending champs didn't end up finishing in the two seed because I really felt that the Nets had a really good chance, and especially with Kyrie playing next to Kevin Durant and pretty much the same cast of characters, if you would consider it, in fact, deeper, especially if Ben Simmons comes back. I think that would have been a much more favorable first round matchup to a Celtics team that in the first year of a new coaching regime has literally taken off into heights that none of us thought they were going to achieve. And honestly, that team looks really, really good. They look really, really dangerous. They're fast They're They have just as much firepower off the bench as they do in the starting lineup. How do the Nets handle a team like the Celtics? Well, John, I think the East is stacked. And if you're the Nets, you were in the position where you could not choose who you were going to match up with. You were just hoping to get into this thing. So there were those that threw out the theory, "Hmm, maybe it would be better for the Nets to lose to Cleveland, drop down to the potential eight seed, play Miami in the first round, change your entire track. The Nets never viewed it that way. And... I don't think any team could. The way this plan is, it's still new. It's the second year. Let's face it. You get to that point, you're in desperation mode. And that's what the Nets were in. They just want to be a part of it. So getting in was the first chore. They are now in, and it's Boston, a team that they have history with, a team that they beat a year ago in the playoffs, handled when the Celtics were reverse it in the play-in, and the Nets ended up matching up with them. I think this Celtic team is better than the one a year ago. That team had Fournier and Kemba Walker. This team has Horford back on it, and I think a really confident Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, who is a thorn in the side of any team that they play, a new lens in their head coach, Ime Odoka, Brad Stevens now in the front office, and just an overall conviction that they're a real legitimate contender this year, as opposed to last year where they were the ones that were just happy to be in the tournament, so to speak. No Robert Williams, huge key, big difference maker on the defensive end, improving offensive player, good passer, and a terror around the rim offensively as a finisher. That's a big hit. 
it's a big hit for Boston. Horford now has to shift over and play more of that position. Daniel Tice, who they acquired just before the deadline. Nets are familiar with him because he had been with Boston for so long. So ultimately, what I, I think you are alluding to is maybe true that uh, Boston is a tough out, but I got to tell you, Milwaukee would have been an equally tough out. Uh, the Nets didn't care who they played. If they're going to really be a thing in the Eastern Conference, they're going to have to beat both of them at some point. To me, I really feel that the Nets actually getting in the seventh seed and making the postseason through the play-in games, I think, was everybody in the conference's worst nightmare, especially if Ben Simmons is able to make it back. I'm actually thinking if things fall right and they play well and Kyrie doesn't get hurt again, I think this team can make a run to a conference championship. Nobody wants to play them. Why would you? Why do you want to play Kevin Durant in a playoff series? Nobody wants to deal with it. Now, the way things worked out, Boston was in a very precarious situation uh, based on their circumstances. Milwaukee basically threw the game at the end of the year. They rested everybody. Celtics were down in Memphis. Memphis rested everybody. And there might be some issues with vaccination status that could have affected them for a series against the Toronto Raptors. And I do think at that point, they just decided, Hey, let's try to win the game and let the chips fall where they may. Maybe the Nets don't win against Cleveland. Maybe they don't get the seven seed. I've seen it go both ways. I've seen teams and coaches that have willed their way to certain seeds because they like the matchup and it comes back to bite them. And I've seen coaches that have said, no, we're just going to go about our business and, and just deal with whatever destiny throws our way, and it works out. So if you're the Boston Celtics, I applaud them. Go win the game. And now you got a series against the Nets. By the way, if you truly believe you're a championship contender, then you can't worry about who you're matched up with. You just got to go out there and take care of business. Talking with Ian Eagle, the television voice for the Brooklyn Nets and for NFL football on CBS. Let's dive into the NFL. It's been a very, uh, very interesting offseason that we've had so far. A lot of changes in the landscape. Devontae Adams getting traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. The Browns getting Deshaun Watson. The trade of Tyreek Hill to the Miami Dolphins. A lot of things are going to be very different this coming NFL season. You have Russell Wilson going to the Denver Broncos to further boost the AFC West. As you look at this entire landscape of the, of the NFL, is this, how exciting is this to see all these moves around? And are we in for a very exciting season coming up, particularly for the AFC? Because there are no gimmies now in pretty much any of these AFC conferences uh, up and down. Yeah, I think the NFL had an offseason similar to what you normally feel in the NBA when there are a lot of moving pieces and free agent signings and trades and draft day deals. And in many ways, the NBA has benefited greatly from narratives and storylines that don't necessarily happen on the court. They generate a lot of buzz with, uh, you know, Twitter battles and, off the court back and forths and rumors 
the NFL, they generate a lot of buzz with their games. Their games are highly rated and mm-hmm. highly consumed. But this offseason, they got a lot of attention based on the big names that mm-hmm. move from city to city. The Russell Wilson deal is one that I think reverberates because Denver was a high-quality team, excellent defense, had a running game. It was just obvious they were missing that dynamic player at the quarterback position, Bridgewater, Locke. They tried to get by. They stayed in the hunt for a while. Russell Wilson will make a big, big impact on that team in that locker room. His style, his persona, his presence, it's going to change their team greatly. And I saw it when Peyton Manning came over and how it changed the Denver Broncos. So of all the moves that you laid out, and there are a lot of big ones, uh, that's the one that I'm, I'm really keeping an eye on to see if Denver takes a big next step forward into Super Bowl contention. Now, I want to move to local here in New York, but I think it's uh, I think that I think their future and what they're doing is all encompassing within uh, this uh, theme that I'm going to bring up. I'd like to call it the Tankathon, the NFL Tankathon sweepstakes, which has ended. And, you know, now we have the Giants picking fifth and picking seventh. No trades have happened yet. We'll wait to see until draft day. The Jets are picking fourth and picking 10th. You have teams like Jacksonville, who's picking number one again, Detroit, number two. What a surprise. Houston, number three. Where do you think the Giants and the Jets are going to go? And where do you think the Giants and Jets should go? Well, you look at the Giants and uh, they need help in a number of areas. But the one thing that stood out beyond anything else was offensive line and the fact that this team has to rebuild that way. They must. If they have any chance of seeing whether or not Daniel Jones is a franchise quarterback, they got to protect him and they got to give him a shot. He's been someone that looks to run more often than not because I don't think he's been comfortable in the pocket. And that's because they have not had the hosses up front to put him in a position to succeed. On the Jets side of things, look, they they are not in a position where they could say any one area is all set because they're not. <laughs> they, they just aren't. Uh, they need help everywhere. Literally every part of their team requires some help. And they not only have to nail the early picks, they're the type of team that needs four or five players from this draft to contribute. They are not a team that is just going to get by with their current crop of talent and hope that a few guys slip through in free agency. They did not cash in via free agency. They did not have the big signings or the big trades that they thought could be available. Obviously Tyreek Hill was the one that garnered the most attention, but I think Joe Douglas was involved in a number of potential deals. He is a buyer right now. He is trying to build this thing up. They've got salary cap room to do it. They just have not found the proper suitors. So you name it for the jets. They need it. Definitely. 
it's going to be very interesting. And when you look at the at the rest of the league now, you look at now Deshaun Watson competing with Joe Burrow in the AFC North, and the Ravens are going to be back with Lamar Jackson. And I'm going to be very curious to see how now the Steelers no longer have Big Ben. Yep. Is the North going to still be very competitive? The, the West is going to be very is going to be really competitive. I mean, Derek Carr signing a new contract. You already have Russell. You add Russell Wilson in there with Patrick Mahomes and with Justin Herbert. That West that could be anybody's division to win. It, it's it's that it's that tight, and one or two games or conference opponents could really decide that entire division. Yeah, and I think the coaching aspect is something that has to be brought up as well with Josh McDaniels. I believe that he learned from his first go around as a head coach. He's a really smart guy. He's been around a lot of really smart football people, Bill Belichick in particular. I don't think this time around he's going to try to do a facsimile of Bill Belichick. And that's really what he tried to do with Denver. Now I believe he's going to put his own stamp on it. And he'll take aspects of what the New England Patriots have done and what he has been exposed to, but I do think he'll put his own spin. And that's really important, growing as a head coach, growing as a a football mind. Offensively, he's going to put Derek Carr in really good positions. And I think the Raiders are now a team that uh, you have to take a closer look at. Kansas City, yeah, they took a little bit of a hit last year. And getting to where they got to and not finishing the deal, I I understand. I worked that game for Westwood One Radio. It was there for the taking. And uh, as we know, Cincinnati uh, pulled off uh, one of the great runs that we've seen in the NFL in recent years and nearly went the distance and won the championship. But the Chiefs don't scare you like they once did. They don't have that same presence that they once did. There was uh, an aura about them that when you walked into the stadium and you were playing the chiefs, your first thought was, all right, you know, going to have to go out and, and score 35, 38 points to beat them. I don't know. I get the sinkling. Patrick Mahomes never recovered from that Super Bowl loss to Tampa Bay uh, the year before. I I don't think he, I think there's a part of what you're saying that is true. I think he is talented enough to, to power through it, mm. but teams have caught up a bit. And Andy Reid is a brilliant offensive mind. They've they figured some things out. Uh, the Chargers, boy, I, I'm, I'm all in on Herbert. I, I think he is a big-time quarterback. The one part of the equation that we don't know yet is on the big stage, how does he handle it? And until they make the playoffs and you see him – out there with something really important on the line. You just don't know with QBs. He's got every tangible that you look for. Big, strong, accurate, competitive, hard worker, smart, uh, leadership abilities that I think people coming out of college questioned. And now they're starting to see, no, 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 no. He can, he can lead and he's likable and the guys like him. The only aspect is if you hit him, how does he respond? Those are the things that stood out a little bit in the last couple of years. And look, we mentioned Denver and what they can be. That division is loaded, completely loaded. Yeah. 
How about another loaded division? How about the NFC West? Because I think that division might just have, if you think the AFC West is loaded, the NFC West has uh, high-grade Scud missiles and nuclear arms. Matt Stafford and that Rams team has, has not gotten weaker. That San Francisco team looks better and better. Their defense is great. Um, that entire division, and in my opinion, the NFC, I think, goes through that division. I don't think the Packers are keeping up with the Rams. I don't think everybody talks about the Cowboys every single year. Until they actually do something, it means absolutely nothing to me. What's your take on the NFC specifically? Does the NFC go through the West as well? Yeah, I think the window of opportunity is still there for the Rams. You know, obviously, Von Miller not there and Odell Beckham not there. But in the grand scheme, uh, big names, they can make up for those names uh, with this current iteration. The concern I have for San Francisco is is just the quarterback and whether or not he can do it. You know, yeah. a lot of people have issues with Garoppolo. He can take you to a certain level and then uh, you just can't quite get to the next level as we know. But when you have a young QB stepping in, you don't know it. It's still a mystery and we just haven't seen a whole lot. So that's a question. Look, Seattle, I have no idea. Yeah. No idea what they're doing right now. They, they're blowing it up is what they're doing. All you have is now Metcalf and no Russell Wilson anymore. Will Baker Mayfield be a Seahawk? Is that is that going to happen? I think he believes it's going to happen. But... Will, will Baker Mayfield be a 49er? That would be even more interesting. Possibility. Yeah. So I think you still have some question marks uh, in that in that division. Uh, I agree. Look, Arizona, whatever drama they were going through with Murray, is it settled? Are they going to agree on a contract? Is he going to be ticked off? Uh, do they have someone who's on board, or is he separate from what the agenda is? Does he have his own agenda? I don't know. Uh, it's interesting division, and I do think the Rams are still the team to beat in that division, but I think there's some question marks there. Speaking of one uh, big X factor, and we all thought we were not going to see him again after he decided to retire. Tom Brady's coming back and right now staying with Tampa Bay and that NFC South definitely got a little, got a little less dangerous. Now Matt Ryan dealt to the Colts and now you're going to see Brady possibly wanting to make another run at a Super Bowl again. Are you surprised that he came out of retirement? Did you think this was it for Brady? Or maybe an idea that he was going to come back still was out there. Maybe Brady had unfinished business. Yeah, I wasn't completely surprised. Uh, just the way it all went down seemed a little bit disjointed. Uh, the fact that he didn't thank the New England Patriots, that stuck with me, that it was very un-Brady-like. Mm -hmm. He usually is very buttoned up, covers all his bases. I have no idea at that point, what the thought process was. We've heard now some conspiracy theories that he had a large plan to get to Miami and it got blown up uh, once Flores uh, decided to go forward with a lawsuit and uh, that didn't work out with Brady and Sean Payton 
potentially being placed together in Miami. I, I didn't think Brady would go out the way that he did. So there was a part of me that always thought he was going to come back. I also didn't think the Buccaneers would just move on without him. Uh, once it was determined that he was going to come back, the Buccaneers were going to hold him to his contract and uh, we're going to move forward. How it all worked out with Bruce Arians, I don't know. Now he's, taking, now he's taking an office role and Todd Bowles is now going to take over things. So <laughs> this should be very interesting. And then uh, you brought up Miami, and this is a very good point. I want to bring it with the Dolphins. Uh, Tyreek Hill going to Miami with Tua at the helm. And that Miami team slowly has built themselves a, a very powerful team there, getting uh, Raheem Mostert, getting Chase Edmonds in the backfield now to kind of boost their running game. They have Jalen Waddle now to be that second receipt, to be like one of their top two receiving cores in the league. You put Tyree Kill with Waddle, that's one of the most dangerous, speedy type of wide receiving crews you're going to ever see. The question is, is Tua going to be the guy that can get the ball to these guys? Or maybe, just maybe, Brady might decide, I go back to the AFC East and further contend with, go up against Belichick twice a year, go up against Josh Allen. I don't think, what, is I don't your, think- what is your take on Miami and what they can bring to the table? I don't think Brady's going to make that decision by the by. I think Tampa's going to make that decision for him. Mm. Yeah, it's Tua time. And we're going to see whether or not Tua has a chance to be a successful NFL quarterback. They've now given him all the tools. The offensive line was in shambles last year. They had so many moving pieces. I remember uh, I had a Miami Dolphin game early in the season, and then I had one a little bit later in the season. And... I keep my boards that I work on from game to game to game. I put a lot of time and effort into creating my preparation. And from the early season game to the middle to late in the season game, the offensive line changes were hard to fathom. Guys that were playing guard were now playing tackle. Guys that were on the left side were now on the right side. Guys that weren't on the team were now starting. You're not going to win in this league with an offensive line that is mix match shuffle. So if Miami can obviously stabilize that part of it, they've got ridiculous weapons, speed, speed, speed. Tua is accurate. You know, the, the knock on Tua has been, can he throw the long ball and can he be dynamic and not be conservative with quick outs and dump offs. Two is also very likable. I think he can gain the respect of those guys. And now that you have game breakers and Waddle and Hill, it's set up for him to succeed. And an offense of mind and McDaniel that came over from San Francisco that has been at this for a while, that is creative, that is uh, very congenial and magnanimous in the way he approaches his job. So it's setting up for Tua to be successful and for this Miami Dolphin team to to maybe contend with the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East. Now, um, Beast wants to ask you about the NCAA tournament, but I got a little bit of a Tom Brady conspiracy theory as to why he didn't really retire. I think, one, he worked out whatever it was with Bruce Arians. 
And two, I don't think he liked going out the way he went out in that game against Matthew Stafford. I think that ticked him off beyond anything. And he felt he had to come back to have one more matchup with Matthew Stafford. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's validity to the first part, definitely, with Bruce Arians. And the second part, yeah, I didn't see Tom Brady going out that way. And it was such a a quiet retirement. Now, look, it got broken by some reporters early, and that ended up forcing their hand a bit. And it just was wonky. The whole thing, timing-wise and how it was announced and released, it just didn't feel real and right. And the fact of the matter is there might be something to this Miami thing. There really might have been something there where he was trying to manipulate the pieces and, and get himself there. But ultimately, he probably accepted this with the idea that him and Byron Leftwich can run the offense and Todd Bowles will allow them to do so because he will just run the defense and be the head coach and be the front man. Um, how much derision there was between him and Arians, I don't know, but... Yeah, the story had come out that basically him and Leftwich would come up with a game plan, Tom would, every early week, and that Arians would come in middle of the week and then red mark that thing up and take mm. the stuff that he didn't like and put in stuff that he wanted, and Brady and Leftwich would look around like, hey, what's happening here? We want to run yeah. the stuff that we want to run. So let's see how it plays out. Talking with Ian Eagle, television voice for the Brooklyn Nets and television voice for NFL football and NCAA basketball on CBS. And I'd like to finish it up right here with the NCAA tournament. And one of, I think, the most memorable tournaments I think we have seen in quite some time, the the final playoff and final season for Coach Mike Krzyzewski, an improbable run by a, a local team from New Jersey in St. Peter's, and then... North Carolina facing Duke in the final four. What for you was the highlight of this entire tournament that really, I think really stood out among all, amongst all of them? Well, I ended up calling that St. Peter's run. I did every game that they played in, in Indianapolis and Philadelphia. Uh, the shock of beating Kentucky was pretty hard to top, but when they beat Purdue, Murray mm-hmm. state was in there as well, but when they beat Purdue, I truly was flabbergasted. I I just did not think that they had a chance. The size that Purdue had, uh, the fact that Matt Painter and his coaching staff had time to prepare. It wasn't a quick turnaround. He had five days or more to really lock in on what St. Peter's was all about. And the fact that normally the lower seeds that emerge don't, continue the run because at some point the magic carpet ride ends. The fact that they kept it going to the elite eight was pretty incredible. I give credit to Kansas in, in eventually winning the championship over North Carolina and a a team that was very talented. I got a chance to see them in person. I had Kansas, Oklahoma earlier in the season, early February with uh, Bill Raftery at fog, Allen Fieldhouse, and was impressed. I wasn't blown away, but I knew that they had a chance to win the whole thing based on their balance, 
and the fact that they compete hard defensively. Duke, North Carolina was great, lived up to it. North Carolina's run was fantastic and fun. But really the amazing part, Jonathan, in Mm -hmm. stating that 2022 was a great year for the NCAA tournament, and it was, there was not one buzzer beater in the tournament. Really? Not (laughs) one. Wow. That's hard to imagine because you walked away thinking that this was one of the better tournaments we've seen in quite some time, and it just didn't have that that go-to buzzer beater moment. That doesn't mean that uh, there weren't exciting moments. There were plenty of them, but it's a little hard to believe that uh, we didn't get one of those this year. I can say up and down, even not just in Division One, uh, but in Division Three, which uh, I also call some games for my local alma mater. Brooklyn College, for the first time, won an NCAA game this year. Something they fought for a couple of years to get to the tournament, but never won a game in the tournament. And they finally went to the round of 32, which was a very nice accomplishment for them. So it it really just goes to show you this was really just a great year all around for the NCAA. And I hope great things are on the horizon for it over the next number of years to come. And for St. Peter's, the money they the the amount of revenue they made, and now the players and coaches are now going to kind of go their separate ways, but they're going to go to other teams. They've gotten yeah. If anything they got was recognition. That that and that's tremendous. And I hope we yeah. see another Cinderella run in them. Yeah, I think the other part of it too, which made this year very special, uh, was the fact that fans were back in attendance. Yes. And you could feel it. Jim Spinarkle and I worked those games in Indianapolis and we've been doing the tournament together for a very long time. The first session, and it was mm-hmm. the first game of the NCAA tournament, non first four was the game that that we did, um, and it was Michigan-Colorado State. And the place was basically packed, which never happens. Like, normally, the first session, it's noon on Thursday. It takes some time to fill in and fill up. And I think people were just so excited to be a part of it again. And you could feel it. It was, it was very palpable uh, that the fans had the impact that they had. Absolutely. Ian Eagle, television voice for the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network, TV voice for NFL football and for NCAA basketball on CBS. Thank you so much for taking some time to join us. Uh, Best of luck to Brooklyn this coming weekend against the Boston Celtics first round for them in the NBA playoffs. And uh, I hope they will have a very deep run. Yeah, it should be fun. Uh, Looking forward to it. Looking forward to the NBA playoffs in general. I I think there's some really good matchups. And I think looking ahead, the conference semifinals have a chance to be excellent as well. So uh, great to to be back on that ride. I'll be doing a bunch of games with TNT and hopefully some games with the Nets. So uh, bopping around. It's a fun time of year. Thanks for having me, guys. Always Always. nice to talk to you. No problem. Thank you. No problem. Thanks for coming on again. We definitely appreciate it. Mm-hmm. All right, John, Jonathan, be well. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. Okay. See you guys. All right. That was Ian Eagle of the Brooklyn Nets television voice for Brooklyn, the television voice for NFL football on CBS. And Uncle Lion. Uncle, Uncle Lion. Lion. He's, he, yes, he's, he, we he, he used, gave us permission. We, use Uncle for, we, use Kenny. we call Kenny our uncle. <laughs> All well, right. Man, I guess good. we have. We can have two uncles. I have no problem with that, right? Seriously, Uncle Lion is great. <laughs> uh, perfect. Enough. I have nothing against that at all. Well, that's going to wrap up this very, very special DMB edition of Downtown Sports. I want to thank the Birdman, Ian Eagle, for joining us here today. I want to thank our statistician, Chris DeLarge, 
Our researcher, Tony Mainville, our producer, Girl Friday, Tanya Williams. You can listen to Downtown Sports on 16 different platforms. We're on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Bullhorn, Podbay, Listen Notes, Podcast Addict, Verbal, Castro.fm, and Stitcher. Rants, episodes, DM, digital market battle specials. Pull up. Oh. I got to tell everybody something. We're working on a little something. Oh, yes. Another platform. Very soon, Downtown Sports on Amazon Music. Very soon, ladies and gentlemen, we'll let you know when we're up on Amazon Music, but now we got the big three. Apple, Spotify, and now Amazon. There's no excuse for you not to find us, not to listen in every week. We are where sports come home. We are downtown sports. For the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, our entire team, I am the Beast of East, Jonathan Cariente, saying goodbye. We're out. Thanks for listening.